Welcome to another episode of Peers Over Beers, your favorite digital and social evangelist podcast with your industry veteran hosts, Chris Tetzel. This podcast starts now. All right. Welcome to another Peers Over Beers. I'm Chris Tetzel and I'm Nicole Saunders. Nicole, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, We're getting to that phase of the year where you're starting to do your end of year reporting and planning for next year. And it's kind of fun to look back and see what you've accomplished. I mean, I say that and it's still October, so there's two more months left, but you know, things start winding down around the holidays. Yeah. You know, for us, it's, we're in our, we think about it as FY25 planning. And so mm-hmm. we want to be done with, you know, kind of the budgeting and things like that uh, by November. And then, uh, you know, I, I report the CMO. So, you know, we have this big marketing kind of plan that we're going to be, we're going to meet on site uh, in the next couple of weeks and then get our plan on a page and say, Hey, this is what we're going to go do and how we're going to execute. And then we start building our own plan on the pages for our own departments. Um, and yeah, I mean, this has already started. <laughs> so, you know, it's going to be a lot I of fun. Yeah. Um, it's exciting you know, to look ahead, right? It is. It, I, I, uh, like you said, I, I kind of like looking back and uh every year and i think i've said this in that podcast before is what did i accomplish before you know for the uh all of last year or this year right and then i like to build a presentation that shows that and it helps me to look forward as well and so you know that's where i'm going to be is it's like okay i accomplished these things and where else can i go uh for next year if even if it's some of the same stuff can we Mm -hmm. make it bigger better whatever you know what i mean so exactly I love a lot of our quarterly reports have a like, what did we learn and what will we do different? And it's, it's a very simple prompt, but it's really helpful to say like, Hey, let's, let's look at this. What happened? What did we learn and how will we adjust it? You know, it's not necessarily, we're going to come up with something net new, but how are we going to do things a little bit differently based on what we've learned or the progress that we've made? So I think that that's, that's cool. Yeah, I I agree. And, And just kind of on some of that, you know, when I kind of look at, uh, this year, um, we we've seen kind of the AI ML kind of stuff explode. Not just, I mean, probably within community management, but all over every single industry. And is uh, I was kind of thinking about that. I was thinking about trends in community for 2024, and mm. wanted to get some of your inputs and thoughts. You know, I have a bunch of questions that you know you and I can kind of discuss and and go through. Um, and one of the questions, which is interesting, is, is we kind of look at uh, next year, you know, and, and we're being asked to do more with less. So, you know, not just community, but in this case, it is community. And so, and, and I was reading up on a Bevy report, and this Bevy report shows that community teams are getting leaner, but asked to do more. So again, this is not just yeah. community, but since it is, you know, a community podcast, we'll stick with that. But how are community managers in your mind adapting to maybe smaller teams while taking on additional responsibilities? Or are you not seeing that in at Zendesk and are you seeing something different? I mean, I think we're seeing it across the industry. You know, for us, we had to go through that last year after there was a couple of rounds of layoffs. And yeah. so I think we've been trying to adjust since about May to how to okay. keep doing our programs, keep scaling our programs, but do it with a few less hands. Um, and I really think that some of the things that you see 
one, it's, it's, you have to be ruthless in prioritizing, mm-hmm. right? If you've only got a few people to do something, is there a program that's just not producing something that you can either put on hold or something that you can wind down? We've been working a lot, you know, you hear me talk all the time about being cross-functional, but there's a reason for it. And it's because you can share those resources. So we've been doing a lot of conversations of, for example, we've got a great events program. We have half a person on my team to run the whole thing. And so (laughs) that's really required us to partner. Yeah. You know, we're doing one or two events a month with on 20 hours a week. And so we're really relying on other teams. We started reaching out saying, Hey, we need more help with marketing campaigns team. Does this fit with anything you're doing? Hey, we need more help with hosts success team. Is there anybody that Hmm. wants a little bit more time on camera? You know, all of that kind of thing. So I'm thinking into that. I also think heading going forward, you know, that's where AI is going to start to come into play. It really does have some things it can do to help you be more efficient. One of the things I've been looking at is, you know, we have all of these user group meetups that happen all the time. And I need to write social media posts for every one of them to promote it. And yep. you know, Chat GPT can help with like write me 30 different ways to promote a user group on Twitter <laughs> or yep. whatever we're calling it now. <laughs> and things like that. So I think <laughs> there's some things that you can lean into. Um I suspect the biggest challenge for a lot of folks though is like if you're trying to do more with less than you know, experimenting with new strategies, it's like, well, where do you have time to sit down and come up with new strategies yeah. and build new relationships? And so there's sort of a push and pull of doing the things you need to do to be more efficient and still accomplish what you can with fewer resources and at the same time, like keep your programs running. Yeah, it's it's a good point. And uh, I like the idea of what you said about the cross collaboration or, you know, uh, working with other teams or within your own kind of team. Like for us, we have a lean, mean marketing team. We do, we get a lot done and things like that, but it's, it's more than just cross-functional. It's working with each, my, my boss made a good point, you know, and anytime I've kind of, you know, bring up, I just don't have enough people <laughs> as well. You know, no one does, uh, but it's more about, it's well, so true. well, Chris, you know, uh, I give you uh, time with Luke and uh, I say, I give you, but you work with Luke, which is kind of our analytics guru that knows all things really smart about, diving into the data and making really good decisions. You know, uh, we have a, a guy that runs operations and marketing that, you know, whenever I'm building my dashboard and things like that in Tableau, he kind of helps me in some of that. I have a halftime guy that works partly kind of what you said on, you know, uh, on community shows and things like that with the back end putting out into YouTube. So it's using those resources. I think one is, that to me is is a big key is are you utilizing the resources that you have know that you know even if you think you're alone are you really like you know you're you're having to you you might be a one person team or two person team or whatever but just use what you have and and, and the cross functional thing is going to be key and I, and i think that that's that's one the, then the other thing that you mentioned and, and i i really like this a lot there are tools out there so i'll give you an example used to I had to go to upwork.com to get a blog written, right? And uh, so we would do a, a webinar and I would send over, you know, the, the and I would go to, so I'd go to do a, do a webinar and then it's very tactical, but then I would send it to rev.com to get the transcript, right? So it'd give me this beautiful transcript. And then um, I would send that transcript and the video over to a writer on upwork.com 
And and all this would take about a week or two, right? Like, you know, to get all this done, it would cost me, you know, $450, you know, it's just, maybe it's not that much, but, but now you can do all this within like an hour or less yourself, right? I mean, you, you could spend less money. You can, you know, by using like the chat GPT-4 or Claude 2 or other kinds of things that are cheaper and will help you get to 80 to 90% to the way there, right? So if I already have a transcript, I could push that into like a Claude and it, and it writes me a blog around the transcript and around my original content that I pushed out, right? And then I'll have an expert that you know, uh, that knows all about it, clean it up. They spend 20 minutes on that. Boom. All done. It's now a blog under that person's name and the transcripts free or, you know, within reason it, I get the transcript now from zoom. So, I mean, you know, that's to me, like one, you save money Two, yeah, you get a, a, a nice, great content. Um, and you know, three, it's using your resources wisely. Right. So Absolutely. So I think that that's one way to, to really do more with less. <laughs> so, you know, um, go ahead. It is, you, you know, like I said, we have to experiment with those tools. We have to look for partners and some people might be thinking, oh man, it takes a lot of time to go like find other partners. And as you said, Chris, everybody's shorthanded, yeah. right? What What's the motivation for other teams to come work with me? And that's where I think it's really important to find those places where you have intersecting goals. I'll give you a great example. Our success team is working on launching a new digital success hub. We have a lot of customers that don't necessarily have access to a CSM, their smaller accounts, and we still want some way to help them learn about the product and get all this support. And they were talking about like, well, you know, we're looking for this digital success hub and we were like, well, we're looking for new content and ways to expand the conversations in our community beyond just product support and get into like best practices and that kind of thing. And so we said, well, let's work together. Let's launch a digital success hub in the community and do it. Hmm. And so then suddenly, whatever resources either one of us had allocated for those projects, we could share and pour into this one thing together. And we're going to be able to have some shared KPIs and that kind of thing. And just because we found a common goal of like, we both wanted to engage customers around best practices and make sure we were working on enablement. And so we found a way that we could do that, that served both teams goals. And, you know, as a result is going to serve the customers really effectively without creating multiple, oh, you can go here for this or here for this, right? It's just one central spot. And so I think the more that you can look at where do you have common goals with other teams and where can yeah. you work together on a single project that accomplishes what you're both looking to do, the more luck you're going to have with sharing those resources, being more efficient. And, you know, I know it's working out really well for us. So that launches next week. So I'm excited about that. To see how that all goes. We'll have to talk more about that over time. I love that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip around here on some of the questions, but one of the questions, um, that uh, is always coming up from an engagement standpoint or engagement is always coming up. You know, how do you engage your customers mm -hmm. and things like that? You know, what strategies in your mind are successful? Uh, what strategies are successful community managers using to consistently engage members and avoid stagnation? Is there something that we can kind of think about for next year that really works that, you know, I don't know if it's emerging, but I still like the idea of, engaging our customers more and if there's unique ways to do it you just kind of mentioned one yeah potential well i mean this is 
this is one of the hardest things about being a community manager. I <laughs> talk to my team about this a lot of time where I say, you know, we have to have a constant drumbeat, but we got to change the rhythm every few months so that it mm-hmm. is fresh and new and offering something a little bit different. And so I think there is a lot that goes into figuring out, okay, what, what else can we offer? How can we keep this fresh and interesting? Especially when you're working with like a product community where, you know, it's exciting when you have a new feature or functionality to enable people on, but there's a lot of evergreen content you got to keep covering over and over and over as new people come into the space and need to learn the thing that you covered six months before they joined the company. Right. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And so you know, I, this might sound like the obvious answer, but I lean a lot into just figuring out, talking to the customers and figuring out what it is they need. What do the people in the the community need or want? I mean, that was the whole reason that we started doing our webinars. It was the whole reason that we have added different formats for our events. It's why we launched user groups because customers were telling us, you know, Hey, this information is really great. We'd love to see it presented live or, Hey, these live events are really great, but I'd actually just really like to talk to other customers about it. Can you give me a way to do that? And so, you know, we look at that. um, We look at those connections, like I said, with other teams to see what they're doing and how can we use that to shine a new light on stuff. But I think at the end of the day, this is one of the key skill sets of being a community leader is being able to constantly innovate and come up with new ideas and things that are like a new fresh way to do it that's still useful right you don't need something that's like big and shiny and bells and whistles and doesn't actually work for what your customers need so i want to turn this question on you chris what's yeah. what's something that you did this year to keep your community engaged what was yeah I think, did you try yeah i, I think that uh it's it, you, you mentioned it and and you said you know you've got to think of different ways maybe if even if it's within the same programs to keep them engaged. So I'll give you one example is, um, you know, we do a lot of webinars. I've said this before. I call them community shows and, you know, look, webinars are webinar. They're, they're live webinars. We, you know, uh, we go deep into the product and things like that. But this year I, and we slightly talked about this at, on one of our podcasts before around getting partners engaged and involved. So, you know, this is all public information, so it doesn't, one of the things that I did um, yesterday, as a matter of fact, I had our senior VP of product uh, on our community show and our and one of our partners, DNB. So a thought leadership within DNB, uh, Dun and Bradshaw, and then a thought leader within our own organization that runs the product organization. And you know, we've not done this particular kind of show before, where it was kind of like a live podcast in a way, right? Like um, basically. I had a bunch of questions ready to go for these two thought leaders, specifically around, you know, data, you know, where data uh, as a product's going, you know, it was just, so I thought, you know what, why not? Let's try it. And, you know, I think I had like 80 people show up to it live. I had a couple of questions from the audience, but they kind of listened. It was an hour long and I did learn a lot, like from, uh, personally, like people want some of that because they've been asking for that. So when you look at the, we do a survey at the end. The beauty about Zoom is it pops up a survey. You don't even have to send it to them. It just pops up and people can take it. Um, but the, the the survey basically said, look, uh, you know, this was really helpful. It was really good to get thought leaders on there, you know, because people have asked. So that was good. The one thing I learned, though, was it's probably a little too long. It was an hour long. We went uh, probably to just push it down to 45 minutes. We didn't have as much engagement on there as I would like, right? Like, 
because some people just want to hear from the thought leaders. So there's a balance, right? Uh, I think some of it is also kind of thinking about, you know, the feedback that people give you, you need to take that, not with a grain of salt, you need to take it and use it, right? So, <laughs> yep. you know, uh, whenever I do these live webinars, and I'm very specific on live webinars, but, uh, but one of the things was like, when I go deep into a product, we and people want to know, they want to see the demo, they want to see what the expert has to say. They don't necessarily want a bunch of questions in between. I made a mistake by doing that, like, two weeks ago, like I went back to that. I was like, let's just ask the questions as they come. It works, but it doesn't work, right? Because it, it interrupts the whole demo. So I think you have to tweak and learn from the existing programs that you have and and say, I know these work, but you know, this is what we need to tweak to make it even better. So I think you don't have to necessarily invent something new. Like I want to do user groups so bad, but it takes a whole, you know, army, not army, but a, a person to do a user group. You know what I mean? Like so mm -hmm. I'm kind of thinking, well, do I need another program, you know, to run if it's just going to be uh, limited? Or hey, if I if if I am going to do a new program, then I got to think, well, you know, what am I taking away? Like you said earlier, is yep. is there something that's not working that we can just replace it with, you know, and 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 think that way? Or maybe I'll do less of this to go do some of this. You know what I mean? I think it can be hard too as a, a community professional. We tend to put our heart and soul into our programs yeah. and yeah, we don't true. do anything that we don't think is meaningful for our members. So it can be really hard to unwind something yeah. or decide, Hey, we're not going to do this anymore, but it's also really important. You have to think about what is the highest value thing that you can deliver for people. That doesn't mean the things that you're doing aren't valuable. But maybe that there's something that could be more impactful and that's where you should be spending your time. And so I think it's a, it can be really challenging to do that prioritization exercise. I mean, I don't know about you. I've been in a ton of start, stop, continue conversations where like there's nothing on the stop list or it'll be like, that's right. Stop <laughs> being slow, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can we be and, faster and do it more? Right. And so you really got to think about do it. More it <laughs> we we for a while this year like we were like i think we're going to pull back on our virtual events you know there's a lot of teams that do webinars at the company yeah. do we need to do all of these and then we looked at the numbers and it was mm -hmm. really clear that the community events perform really well and we get tons of positive feedback from the end users we get tons of yeah. positive feedback from all of the internal people that participate as guests we actually ended up deciding to lean into it more instead of pulling back yeah. But it was because we were looking at the value that it drove and we were like, you know, these are a lot of effort, but they're really worth it. And it means a lot to people. And maybe we don't do something else. There was actually another big project we were planning on doing next year that we've decided to hold over until 2025 mm -hmm. so that we can do these events and, and hopefully we can get some more resources in the next year and, and then we can do that other project. But it was really interesting because we really thought we were going one way and then we looked at the data and the results and it was clear that we needed to actually reverse our, our whole thought process on it. So no, look, I, I think virtual events, webinars, they're highly important for communities. And, you know, if you're not yeah. doing live webinars and things like that, it's probably one program that you could get a ton of value from. And so, you know, and we'll talk about kind of metrics and things like that in a minute, because I do think that at the end of the day, that's going to be core 
you know, and, and how we kind of, we, we've talked about that in the past a lot. And, and I still think that we continue to talk about it because it needs to be talked about a lot. But um, another question is in kind of staying around, uh, you know, the virtual and, and on-site events, you know, how are organizations like yours and mine optimizing both in-person and virtual events to meet community needs? And what are the pros and cons of each format? That's a big question, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that we have seen this year, it really wasn't until about the middle of this year that it feels like we hit that tipping point where people really want to be meeting in person again. Yeah. Even the events that we were doing at the beginning of the year that were in person were a little like not as well attended as we would have hoped. And people were really leaning into virtual and now it seems that as people have gotten more and more comfortable, and honestly, I think probably some companies have opened up travel budgets or travel permissions, people are so excited to meet in person again. It's like a whole new thing all over again. But I love your question about, you know, how do you optimize between that and virtual events? Obviously, the in-person events have the great benefit of allowing for people to connect in, in real life and get to know each other in a way that even on a Zoom call, you just can't do, you know, yeah. we all know this. We've been on Zoom with our team members for years and there's just something different about meeting with them in person, even if you know them yeah. really well via Zoom. Um, and so I think with in-person events, it's optimizing the opportunities for people to network and talk. Mm -hmm. I've definitely seen where conferences have a bunch of sessions, the sessions are going on and everybody's out in the hallway talking to each other. And so the more that you can optimize those in-person things around those connection points, unless sitting in an audience, <laughs> people yeah. can sit in an audience on zoom. That's fine. Um, at the same time, obviously the virtual events offer a lot of access. There are still a lot of people that can't travel, whether it's That's because right. they're more junior and they don't have the budget or they've got family at home that they can't leave for a week to go on a business trip easily, or they're just people that have other reasons that they can't travel. I think that it's important to offer both components. And I, I like a lot of what we've been seeing where there's an in-person event and then a couple of weeks later it's rebroadcast virtually mm -hmm. and there's a robust chat so people can still talk and oh, connect with each other and have those touch points. Um, I mean, we just saw that with the CMX conference. Yeah. They had the conference um, in early, was it, it was September, I think this year. Yeah. And forward. we all got to go and meet each other and be there, but then they rebroadcast the whole thing yesterday and all the speakers were live answering questions via chat. Oh, really? Okay. That's and so cool. there was, there was both, everybody could still get the learnings, people could still talk, but there was that really solid networking component earlier in the year. Did you find what that you been helpful? Doing with your events? Oh, oh did ahead. I find it helpful? Um, no, I mean, yeah, especially from the perspective of like having been at the live conference and spent a lot of time there doing the networking and the connection making, I missed a couple sessions I wanted to see. So it was nice to then be able to come back and then actually watch the sessions and engage with yeah. the speakers and kind of be more focused in that because I wasn't sitting there like wondering who was out front that I should be chatting with, you know? Exactly. <laughs> I could just sit and pay attention. So I, I really like that format. I think that that's a good format to follow. Um, with us, you know, we had a big event for the first time in several years. So Relteo kind of, we call it sponsored. Uh, I mean, we put it on, but we, we, we put on an industry event. It's called, it was called Data Driven 2023. And, and it was an also mm -hmm. early October, the same time as CMX. So that's why, fortunately, I can make the CMX. Um, and, you know, it was it was way better than we expected. Uh, we knew it was going to be good, but a lot of attendance. We, we over, um, 
hit our uh, number of people that we thought were going to come. So we had a goal and we hit it. And, and, and so that was really good. So we are seeing the same as, um, uh, same as what you said is more people are wanting to get out and, and connect. Um, and what we did was, so I also own our executive council. It's our customer executives get together and our executives get together and we hosted a, uh, an executive council meeting the day before. And then we also had a CDO, a chief data officer summit the same day. So we had our executive council meet for a, a few hours uh, and, and we just talked about real kind of things. And then the rest of the day, they went to the CDO summit. And so really kind of built that executive kind of uh, leadership from a community standpoint, you know, um, and we had a whole agenda and things like that. And I really had a chance to connect with those folks as well, you know, in a big way. And so that was kind of fun. And I even recruited three or four new people <laughs> to the executive council. So, um, nice. yeah, so uh, we are seeing that in a big way like that. That's a huge uh, opportunity. And, and even, you know, it even gave me opportunities to talk to those leaders and say, hey, look, I want to get you more engaged and involved. Would you want to do a podcast? Would you want to do a, you know, a live show? You know, yeah, 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 or whatever, right? So it gave me some some opportunity to to really network in, in that kind of way and get the, get them to do some more stuff. Um, and then, you know, look, I don't think virtual events are ever going to go away. I mean, I think there's a balance, like you said. I mean, and, and so we are continuing on that path. And then, you know, Realtio does a lot of in-person events, so we'll go to when I say events, you know, we'll go, we'll do the, all the gardeners and the Forrester research events. Uh, we're doing AWS, we do Dreamforce. We we spend a lot of money and time into those events, and we at times try to do dinners on behalf of Realtio and you know s- different things to kind of you know bring in our existing customers, but also prospective customers as well. And sometimes I'm a part of that. Um, so we're doing. I mean. We're doing all in-person type stuff. We're now we've got a guy in Maya doing stuff there, starting to really get a has a robust count. So those aren't going away, and we're spending a lot of time, effort, and money. I mean, you know, you would think <laughs> economic times would hinder some of that, but it's you know you have to have a balance, right? Like in these, and so I think community can engage in those kind of ways. The way I'm thinking about it next year. Um, We'll definitely have an executive council meeting, uh, you know, the day before. Uh, maybe we'll have three or four hours instead of just two, what we did, you know, and so optimizing that and maybe even having a potential community corner or something. I don't know, you know, uh, definitely want to do more of that. So, I mean, we're definitely spending more time and effort. Next, we spent some this year, but even more next year. So, you know, I just thought of one other optimization because um, you were talking about your executive councils and yep. uh, I have a colleague who really works with our executive community experiences and she's come up with this really wonderful format that helps people connect. So a lot of the time, I think one of the challenges, whether you get it together virtually or, you know, less so in, in person, but still sometimes is getting everybody to talk, right? And participate. And what she's done is she sends everybody a slide ahead of time they have to fill out. And so they'll, they'll figure out their theme for whatever. And then she'll put a couple questions on there. And so everybody has to go around and basically the conversation starts with everyone. And this works obviously in small groups of like 15 yep. or less probably, yep. but everybody goes around and they share their answer to the key question. You know, they do their little intro, they put their slide up and it gets everybody talking right away. Right. And it helps those folks identify like, Oh, that's someone I should follow up with later. 
And she did one of these executive sessions. You know, we were just in Chicago this week for one of our showcase events. Yeah. And she did an executive session the day before and all these people met each other and shared their little slides. And it was really interesting to watch throughout the entire rest of the event the whole next day. Mm-hmm. They all ate lunch together. They went to the sessions together. They had like their little crew of people. And yes, it was just because that. she did that little bit of prep work of, hey, we're going to talk about this and I want everybody to you know, speak for two minutes on, you know, how you're using AI or whatever the thing is. Yeah. Even if the whole meeting is just everybody going around and doing their introductions, if there's opportunities for them to then connect one-on-one or in smaller groups, it really facilitated that building. And, you know, our customers tell us over and over that that program is one of the things that they find just absolutely invaluable. And so I think that that's another thing to think about with optimizing things is how can you actually prep your attendees so that they're ready to show up and participate. And it's not just a, I'm going to log in and listen, but I'm actually going to join and have a conversation and share with people. Taking notes. That was really good. <laughs> I like the idea of, because we do three virtual and one onsite now, and you know maybe there's some of that that you can do virtually as well as maybe there's a session, if it's only two hours of figuring out ways for them to connect better and understand what each is going through. Right. So trying mm-hmm. something a little bit different, you know, cause usually I have a very focused and formatted kind of, you know, agenda. So it's like case study here. Yeah. My CEO says these things, this person says this thing, you know what I mean? Like, and we never get through all of it because it's just too much. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, totally. we need to do less. And so, you know, it's always a balance with that. I, I but I love that idea is and especially face to face, you know, uh how do you kind of just push and spark that that engagement and interaction with and connecting, you know, kind of stuff. So um so I kind of think about, you know, bringing it all together, like we're doing these programs or we think they're working and and things like that. And and this is something I've worked on a lot this year into uh late last year. Um is how do community pros better integrate and connect community data across their uh, MarTech stacks for a unified view? It's a good one. I like that question because that's not yeah. easy. How do you, that's one thing I don't think, look, I, I don't know 100%, but I feel like that we don't talk about enough. I mean, you and I do, but you know, as community leaders or community managers, how do we kind of get that unified view of what we're doing is, is working or not working, you know? I mean, you know, if you work at a company that has a data scientist or an operations team that works with data, make those people your best friends. They are such incredible resources. I know everything I know about Google Analytics because the data scientist at my last company was a big fan of teaching me how to fish. And so every time I went to him with a question, he showed me how to find the answer for myself. And I still use the things that he taught me back then. Um, You know, ideally these people can teach you. Maybe they can do some of it for you. You know, I always encourage learning, but there's some stuff, you know, maybe maybe you're not the community manager that's going to learn how to use SQL. That's fine. (laughs) But I think working with those teams, another thing that I've been bringing up, I think I've spoken about this in some of our recent podcasts but look at the way that other teams measure their data yes. and align yep. yours to those metrics as much as possible. It's not going to be possible in every way, right? Community is its own thing and it's got some unique numbers that you need to measure. But even within that, go to the community communities and talk to other colleagues and peers and see how they're measuring things. You don't have to invent this stuff from scratch. 
But if you're not measuring things successfully, you're in trouble. You really absolutely, one of the key things you have to be able to do as a community professional and really a professional in any field, I think, is be able to measure the value and measure the impact and success of your work because you're going to have to share that with somebody at some point. And ideally, you're proactively sharing it with people. But you got to know what does health look like? What does success look like? And there's two pieces to this. We talk a lot about it in terms of, you know, how do I show value? How do I prove that my team is delivering? How do I prove that my program is valuable? There's also just basic data that you need to know whether things are working properly or not. If Mm -hmm. you don't know how to look at page views for your community, you got to go learn because you might see a big dip one day and realize that some link that's really important to drive traffic to your page is broken. And and you have to be able to tell those things. So I I think that those are the, the keys for me is leverage those data resources you have, leverage peers and colleagues you have, and and learn it. Data is yeah. a key skill set for a community professional. You know, it's it's funny because it, it's a hard thing to really to to understand and, and do, but it, it's I think it's key at the end of the day. And the way it's funny, I, I used to work uh, at a company called Rexel. And one of the things that my leader at that time taught me was one is, you know, we have this business goal and some outcomes we want to want to accomplish at the end of the day for community and some other things. And he goes, that's what we're trying to lift it up to. You know, uh, all these things that you do underneath the content strategy, planning, engagement, strategy, planning, all rolls up to this one thing, right? Whatever that was, you know. Uh, for us, it was moving traffic over to the e-commerce sites. We want to send 10% of our traffic from community or whatever. You know, it took me a long time to understand, like, I mean, because there's so much, this is my kind of first kind of run into community management. And he already knew all this stuff, right? Like I knew nothing. You know, I was so stressed out for three years, you know? Um, but what that taught me though, was it, it gave me a vision of how to kind of think about community and, and, what I wanted to do on the next uh, job and the next job, right? right? And then probably two jobs later, um, if I look at now, I've become way more data focused. I work at a data company, so maybe that helps, but data focused than I ever have. And, and not just data focused, but more about setting a vision of what data is important. Sometimes I mess up, you know, and it's okay, but you have to have a vision. So I'll give you an example. Last year, I was like, I want to move all of my community data from the platform that I use because I have to keep pushing buttons and it's taking me five hours just to get all the data that I want because, you know, I was looking at different reports, but pushing them into an Excel spreadsheet to make it look pretty and good. And I was having my own dashboards, but it's taking me hours, you know, to, to do that, you know, it's going into Excel or Google sheets and then coming up with these dumb formulas, going to Google, going to YouTube to figure out how to do the formula. You know what I mean? Like it was just so much time and effort and, you know, but I learned one is, you know, uh, was like, okay, this is kind of the dashboard and look that I want. But I always knew that I wanted it to kind of move up into this higher level business outcome and, you know, kind of thinking. So it took me a long time to really understand. It. And then, then I started, then I hired a company, right? And a company built this entire dashboard into Tableau. So now all my community, uh, interactions, engagement, all the shows or webinars that I do are pushed into all this tech, the, 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 the tech stack, right? Now it's automated. So 
automation is key at the end of the day for me because now it's like, Chris, how many members do you have in, uh, in you know, this year? And can you separate them by customer partner and prospect and employee? Yeah, boom, within like two minutes, it's all there, right? You know, and so yeah, why is that important? You know, the other piece of that is, is now all of that now pushes into Salesforce opportunities, into uh, our ABM kind of account-based marketing type stuff. And and I could also, you know, and I've talked about this, look at influenced revenue and everything else within some of our webinars. So I think one is creating that vision and, you know, just diving in, figuring out what you need and what you don't need. But but then always kind of like you said, pushing that up to the uh, um business outcomes and the higher level kind of things that you're trying to accomplish. I don't know, does that make sense? Maybe I went too deep, but. No, it totally makes sense. Um, how are successful communities using community insights for product innovation and development? I kind of like that. That's a tough one because I can't it tell is. you like I've dove deep into that yet. You know, I know what has worked really well for us has been doing these small group conversations with our product managers. Mm. So we call them PM roundtables. And this is one of those event formats that I was talking about that kind of developed over time out of people were coming to our bigger webinars and the product managers were like, man, this is really great, but I would love to just like really like dig in with a smaller group of customers, like really mm. get some feedback on this idea I have or this feature I'm building or this thing we rolled out that people aren't picking up as quickly as we'd hoped or something. And so we will, you know, product manager come to us and be like, Hey, I'm building a thing about reporting. Can you help me get in touch with 30 members of the community? I can talk to you about this and kind of bounce some ideas around. And so we'll go promote it to the places in the community where users have been posting feedback on that stuff. So people we know who are already engaged, who already care about these things and people who are likely to show up and have ideas. And then they come in and we facilitate this conversation with the product managers. And what we hear from customers is like, oh, I feel really heard. And I really got to explain my ideas, dig into my use case. And the product managers walk right in. They're just like, this is amazing feedback. I understand so much more about the need, that kind of thing. Now that's not easily quantifiable, right? It's, you could measure the time they spent on the call, the number of people they talked to, the number yeah. of different pieces of feedback they got. But at the end of the day, it's really about sort of the anecdotal and qualitative piece of one, the customers felt really heard, but two, then the product manager walks away with a really clear idea of what is going on and what users are looking for. And so that's one of the places that we have found that really impactful. Now we are working a lot with our product feedback forum, right? We let mm. customers submit feedback in our online discussion forums and all of that goes into the tools that we use behind the scenes to keep track of all of our feedback and what customers are saying. And then our product team's action on that. So we've been working a lot this year with things like measuring the ARR of, you know, how big are the customers, how many mm. customers does something impact? Because sometimes something yeah. will be really important to a lot of your smaller customers. Just because it's not the biggest dollar value doesn't mean it's not a super important feature. Yeah. Or, you know, request to fulfill or something like that. But we do look at all those things. So we understand like what is the potential impact to the customers? What part of our business is it going to impact? Uh, is it something that is needed across the board or just by big customers or just by smaller ones or just by ones in one sector? 
all of those different kinds of pieces. And so we've worked really hard this year. And I got to give a shout out to Shauna James, who is our um, new person on the product operations team, who's really focused on community feedback. She's been with us for about four months and she, and then Casey Zakula on my team, our operations manager have worked so hard at getting all of this data together. So we can really start to tell more about the feedback that we're getting and, and how we should incorporate that for our feed, uh, product feedback and, and, and into the roadmap. Um, so I think the more that you can uncover those layers of data, kind of like you were talking about in one of the earlier questions, the more insights you have and the easier it is to make those decisions about what to prioritize. Now, as far as how many other companies are doing this, I think, I think a lot of communities struggle with how to quantify the feedback that they get in the community and really connect that into the roadmap. But, you know, those are the things that we've been working on. What about you? How do you do that at RealTO? There's probably two or three ways that we do it is, um, one, we use our executive council um, at kind of that higher level, you know, VP or CIO or chief data officer level. Um, so like at the executive council meeting that I mentioned uh, we had on site in October, we had a whole two hour session about the product roadmap, right? We had the the leader of uh, product and then we had his direct report that uh, um, he's a VP of product within India. And so um, we just facilitated a discussion around some of the things that were coming out and, you know, and kind of what they thought about it. And, and they just kind of, you know, we were just writing notes furiously, right? So they have access to those folks and 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 get feedback that way. And, and look, Vitki, he's our product leader. He knows how important community is. And so he's actually built a community uh, uh, from a product standpoint at his past jobs. <laughs> so he kind of gets it. Uh, and that's positive, you know, in building those kind of relationships. Two is just through uh, the community webinars, right? Like every... So, so a few things is one is anytime we have a release, we have three releases a year and it's hosted on the community or, you know, by kind of community. And we have, and, and there's probably like four different ways we um, market that one is through community. Two is through just Marketo emails. Three is through the product and four is partner uh, kind of, uh, Hey, here partners through our partner portal. And so community, 70% of those people come from community. <laughs> so, you know, and we can, so we know how important the community is there. And then two is we dive deep into every feature that we can uh, that that comes out. So we'll have a product manager talk about a specific feature, go deep, we'll do a live show and people can ask questions. Then what I've been doing recently is on some of these features or in these in-depth kind of, uh, you know, product stuff, We'll do an ask me anything like a week or two after so it'd be live and everything else because like i've been getting like 20 questions per show and it's like we can't answer all these questions here let's just do an ask me anything and then it brings them back together so it's always kind of creating that engagement piece and then i push not to um kind of get tactical here but then i try to push some of those questions and answers out on the community by customer answer by uh you know expert etc so um but that's how we're doing that. And, you know, from a tracking standpoint and things, look, some of this stuff is just hard to do. You can't do everything. You know, if, if you have those relationships, and I'm not saying don't, you know, strive to, to you know, focus in on product feedback or how community is um, helping with product adoption or feedback or 
whatever, right? So I, I think that, you know, we can't do everything, but we can focus in on specific areas, you know, and, and if you have the relationships with the product leader, like I do today, you know, we're good. You know what I mean? Like they know uh, how, now, if he leaves or if somebody leaves within that, you know, you've got to start all over, you know? And so, you know, if you don't have those da that data and those metrics to, to, to back it up, you know, uh, then it's going to be a little harder. You know what I mean? Like, so I think you have to really, you know, strategically think about where you go from a, uh, you know, proof point that a community is helping in a certain area like product and others, you know, uh, I'll say this a lot. And, and I think we have to, to wrap this up, but in any area, like community touches every aspect of, I believe, from a product uh, company standpoint is almost every aspect of the business, whether it's marketing, whether it's customer success or customer, or whether it's product, sometimes engineering and those kinds of things, right? And probably missed it. You know, you prove, first, first and foremost, if you're in marketing or if you're in some area, you've got to prove out that it's, you know, working there, right? You've got to, Right. But as you kind of go to each department, you can start, maybe it's a yearly thing. You know, you go in and say, okay, this year I want to prove that community is helping with adoption or helping with product feedback and things like that. You know, and then you go to customer uh, with renewals and things like that. Just have to, can't do everything at once is, is my thought. Any parting words, Nicole? I, I think what you were just saying is, is a really key thing because we probably talk a lot of, about stuff where people that are a single person team or that don't have a lot of resources, it could be overwhelming. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, I got to learn all this data stuff and I got to do this marketing stuff and I gotta do these communications. Yeah. Pick one or two things and start there. If you don't have a ton of community data, pick one key metric and get your head wrapped around that and tell the heck out of that story internally and then see what the next thing you can do. You can always break things down into smaller pieces and, and think about it that way. So, you know, I would challenge everybody listening to, as you're wrapping up your year and you're looking at what you've learned and what you want to do next year, think of like, if I can do one key thing next year, what would have the biggest impact for my community and for my organization and focus in on that one thing, try to break it down into its little parts and make a little project plan and, and figure out how you're going to go about actioning that. And I would also challenge everybody, learn one data thing, learn something yeah. that will help you tell your story in a meaningful way. And that will be really key for you. Love it. I have nothing else to add to that because that's a very, very great point. And so thanks everyone for tuning in to another Peers Over Beers. Please rate and review us. My name's Chris Detzel and- I'm Nicole Saunders. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you.